Hey guys, how's it going? It's Greg. Uh, I apologize so much for missing last week. Uh, I ended up having some other people speak at Corner Church Uptown, so I didn't actually speak last night, and uh, I wasn't prepped enough on the message um, other than just helping be a part of the writing team. I didn't prep like I normally would to speak, so I thought it'd be better if I just waited and uh, waited for a message that I was actually prepared to share. And so we're going to jump right into here in a minute. Uh, again, my name is Greg Barber. I pastor Corner Church Uptown in Minneapolis, Minnesota. If you are in the area, I would love to invite you to come be a part of our Sunday morning gathering and uh, learn more about what we do. And if you are too far away to come visit, well, I really appreciate you taking this moment this morning to uh, listen in. All right, so today we're continuing uh, in our series looking at the Gospel of Matthew, and we are looking at Matthew 8 through 9, and we're seeing these moments where Jesus is interrupted. Now, I feel like it's easy to categorize uh, the world, categorize people, uh, categorize uh, me and uh, my friends as either those loving to have a plan, so the people that when they're going on vacation or something, they have their entire plan all written out, and during their vacation, they just simply follow the plan, or that other group of people who don't like to plan anything. They just like to arrive, go with the flow, see what happens. And uh, I think I'm somewhere in the middle. I think when it comes to work, uh, work-related uh, tasks and projects, I'm very much the plan person. I want everything to go through a logical step, logical plan. Uh, but when I travel, I tend to be more on the just kind of go with the flow side. Now. I like to plan ahead and do my research and have know all of my options, uh, but I won't actually have every day planned. I'll, I'll just know uh, which things I want to do the most and figure out when I'm going to fit those in. But the, I think Jesus is somewhere in that in-between as well. He seems to be okay in those moments where he is uh, unexpectedly interrupted, and he seems to be willing and even thrives in... Um, and stopping the plan and realizing and dealing with the moments as they occur. You see, today in Matthew 9, we walk into another moment of Jesus being interrupted. This time he's interrupted by people that are judging his actions, questioning his following of God, questioning his faith, his understanding of who God is. And so we're going to start off uh, with a dialogue question that uh, helps nudge us all in a mindset. So if you're listening to this as a group, this would be a great place to pause, converse as your group. If you're listening to by yourself, uh, pause the podcast, take a minute to write some notes down, what you think. And so I want you to think about holiday traditions. They could be the huge, grandiose traditions. They could be the more small traditions. They could be elaborate or simple. It could be something you do together as a family or friend group, or it could be something that you just do alone. But thinking through your, uh, thinking through the expectations you have of those traditions, and now imagine they get interrupted. Maybe it's because of sickness or a wedding or funeral. Maybe it's because of a family birth. Maybe it's a financial hardship. Maybe it's other people's expectations. Maybe it's travel related. Maybe it's a relational strain. But our question is, is what has interrupted your holiday traditions in the past? 
what interruptions are you anticipating or expecting for this next holiday season? So like I said, pause here, talk if you have people to talk with, or uh, just have this moment of reflecting on yourself. What has interrupted your holiday traditions in the past, and what interruptions are you anticipating or experiencing this holiday season? So we're picking up where we left off uh, last week. Now, uh, last week we talked about this story where this man was lowered in through this roof and Jesus for, first forgives him of his sins and then he heals the man and then Jesus and his crew, they leave this house. house. And we're picking up the story in Matthew 9, 9 through 13. I'm going to kind of just summarize what I think was happening uh, in my own words. Um, so like I said, Matthew 9, 9 through 13, Jesus and his crew are leaving his home. This home was packed with people. Jesus, they're leaving it out. They're walking out the door. And as he sets outside with his disciples, he sees this man named Matthew. And now, I don't know if Matthew was in a tax collector booth. I don't know if that was a thing. Um, but it was clear that Matthew was a tax collector. And Jesus went to Matthew. Um, now, now pause the story for a moment. Tax collectors were viewed as being crooked, money-hungry, manipulative, sellout, evildoers, like the bottom of the bottom in Jewish culture. In fact, to be a tax collector meant you kind of gave up your Jewishness to be more Roman. And so Jesus goes to Matthew, this tax collector, and he invites Matthew to join him, to follow him, to be a part of what he was doing, to leave his past and come join Jesus in a new future. Matthew says yes. And so uh, Jesus goes to Matthew's home. Matthew, to celebrate, I guess, probably invited all of his friends over. And being the worst of the worst in the culture that you are around, the people Matthew associated with were not the best people. In fact, uh, most of the people that would have been at Matthew's home were people who were not following the Jewish traditions any longer. These were the bad people, the evildoers, other tax collectors, and the Pharisees, they saw this. And they weren't too happy with this. Why does Jesus, this good man, this man that has the authority to heal people, even forgive sins, and he's hanging out with Matthew the tax collector and all of his sinners? It doesn't look great, and the Pharisees catch on. So, what does Jesus do? He decides to confront these Pharisees. Um, Jesus responds in a moment of conflict, and he calls them out. Jesus asks them, who needs a doctor? Who needs help? Do the sick need help, or do the healthy need help? Jesus brings up the prophet Hosea, and now the Pharisees would have known exactly what Jesus was talking about as he brings up the Old Testament. Um, you see, the part of scripture that Jesus brings up in Hosea is this moment, the situation where people were worshiping the false god Baal, while still at the same time worshiping God and offering sacrifices to God. And the prophet Hosea says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And it's the same thing Jesus says in this moment. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And then he challenges the Pharisees to learn what that means. So we're going to take a minute, uh, another moment of dialogue, conversation with the people around you or on your own. Feel free to take out a journal and write. But 
I want you to like look through your Bible, talk it out, Google search it, look at other commentaries, share maybe your personal insight or your personal experience. What does Jesus mean when he says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice? So Jesus knows the story of Hosea very well. In fact, the name Hosea actually means salvation, and Hosea was a person. He was a man. He was a prophet, and he is married to this lady named Gomer. Now, Gomer was a bride that God described in Hosea 1-2 as a wife of harlotry. So, not great. Uh, in fact, Gomer and Hosea had three children, and then Gomer was unfaithful to Hosea. Uh, we later see that God instructs Hosea to go and settle the debts of his unfaithful wife and invite her back into right relationship with Hosea for him to forgive what she's done and invite her back into relationship. Uh, Hosea's experience was used to illustrate how God loved and wanted right relationship with his people who are continually running away from him. Now, this is a very hard, very heavy illustration but God's love for Israel, a nation of people that oftentimes are more interested in themselves than in God's direction for their lives. This illustration really shines through clearly against the darkness of their idolatry and their injustice. You see, the people in Hosea, in the book of Hosea, were totally away from God. And yet, they continued to cling to some other religious practices. They continued to make sacrifices. Like, we don't have to have a relationship with God as long as we keep doing the things that he's commanded us to do. You see, this was a season where they were distant from God, and yet they still practiced some of their religious Jewish traditions. And the prophet Hosea has words from God to them. In Hosea 6.6, 6, he says, For I desire mercy not sacrifice, an acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. And now Jesus is bringing this quote all the way out of the Old Testament in this moment when Hosea used it to talk about the nation of Israel and he's using it to talk about the Pharisees. And the Pharisees would have known this quote. They would have known this situation in Israel's past. They would have actually had most of this stuff memorized. And he calls them out and he says, learn what this means. You see, while the Pharisees were focused on Jesus's connection, spending time with who they considered to be bad people, Jesus says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Man, imagine how the Pharisees felt in this when Jesus says, learn what this means. They would have been like, dude, we are experts of the law. How dare you tell us to go and learn what scripture means? Now, this isn't the last time Jesus uses this phrase, mercy, not sacrifice. I would even venture to guess, and it's a guess, that he uses it over and over again. That's not recorded in scripture. But as we turn the page to Matthew 12, we see this moment where Jesus and his disciples are traveling down the road. His disciples are hungry and they start to pick some heads of grain to eat them while they traveled along. Now the Pharisees saw this and they confronted Jesus about it and they said, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Hmm. Hmm. Jesus responds saying, if you had known these words, 
I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would not condemn the innocent. Later that same day, it was still the Sabbath. The Pharisees bring this man with a shriveled hand before God, before Jesus. And they ask Jesus, well, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And Jesus, in this moment, probably knew they were trying to trick him. Um, he asked them this question. If he, any of you had a sheep and that sheep falls into a pit on the Sabbath, would you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he stretched his hand out to the man and healed his shriveled hand. You see, during the Sabbath, it was unlawful to do any kind of work. And the Pharisees were trying to catch Jesus in this moment. Now, these Sabbath laws of not working, they even carry over into modern-day Israel. In fact, when I had the opportunity to spend a few weeks in Israel, I was amazed at all of the things that they weren't allowed to do on the Sabbath or Shabbat. Um, they had these things called the Shabbat elevators. They were in tall buildings uh, because it's considered work to push a button. So you're not allowed to push any buttons whatsoever. Cannot push a button. I don't know if you're allowed to type on your screen because you're not actually pushing a button down, but I don't know, a virtual button? I don't know. That's a, I guess I have to ask. Uh, but they weren't allowed to push elevator buttons because that was constituted as work. And so on the Sabbath or on Shabbat, the elevator would just stop at every single floor. It would just go up a floor, stop. Up a floor, stop. On the way down, the same thing. Down a floor, stop. Down a floor, stop. And it was obnoxious. You would go into like a 10-story building and it would take you half an hour to get to the floor you were trying to go to. And here in this moment, the disciples were hungry. They were grabbing grain as they went along. It was the Sabbath and the Pharisees caught them. There was this man with a shriveled hand, and it was the Sabbath, and Jesus healed it. And the Pharisees thought they had caught Jesus doing work, breaking the law. And Jesus says, learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. We need to start to feel this. Start to understand religious sacrifice and obedience accompanied by internal disobedience is not impressive to God. In fact, it's repulsive because Jesus and God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Now, this is a reoccurring theme in scripture. When we see a reoccurring theme in scripture, what do we do? We take note. It should catch our attention. We see in Isaiah 1, uh, 11 and uh, 17, verse 11 says, the multitude of your sacrifices, what good are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough burnt offerings, more than enough rams, more than enough fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and the lambs and goats. Verse 17, learn to do what is right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless and plead the case of the widow. In Amos, it sounds like this. Verse, uh, in Amos 5, verse 21, I hate I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Verse 24. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. 
Paul puts it this way in Romans 14, 13 through 18, uh, verse 14. Paul says, I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone whom Christ died. Verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing God and receives human approval. You see, we should live and feel this tension between mercy and sacrifice. You see, we often have good intentions in what we hear, and then the way we live them out, the things we sacrifice, the things we do, we are completely missing the point. You see, feel these moments. God doesn't like sin, so I don't like sinners. Hmm. God wants us to trust in him as a provider, so I'm not going to do anything myself. I'm just going to let God do it all for me. Hmm. God wants us to give to the church, so I just do that and I don't care about how I live my life. God wants us to help the poor, so I do it. It may be in a dehumanizing way, but at least I'm doing it. God wants us to come together as the body of Christ, so I do it in a selfish way to get, to consume, and I never give. God wants us to follow the leading of his spirit, so I live like anyone outside of Christianity has no value of speaking into my life. God wants us to know his word, so I'll persecute anyone who sees authority in other writings. God wants marriage to be holy, so I will hate those who see that holiness as being different than me. God wants us to live righteous lives, so I will judge others in order to build up my own perception of self-righteousness. God wants me to be holy as he is holy. So I cut myself off from anyone who isn't holy, who isn't godly. We should wrestle with each of these. Let's take a moment. Uh, this is another opportunity to pause and talk with the people. Uh, maybe you're in a car ride and you just have this conversation with the people sitting around you. Maybe you're alone. Uh, this is just a moment to think about this stuff. But hit pause after you hear the question and then you can uh, finish listening to the very end here in a moment. But the question is, is, what are some of the ways that people sacrifice for God and totally miss what he might actually want from him or her? All right, so we're going to jump into the conclusion here, and uh, we're going to take a corner church quiz. Now, occasionally we do these quizzes in order. Uh, they have one purpose, really, and that's just to help us build perspective, to help us talk about, to think through to process kind of the story and what we're talking about today. Um, do not forget this quiz is 100% fake, 100% made up, 100% uh, has no research, science, anything behind it. Uh, it will not tell you whether you are a good person or bad person or anything. It's simply to help build perspective. And so uh, if you want to take this quiz, take a moment, uh, grab a piece of paper, um, write numbers 1 through 14. On the quiz, we are going to give yourself a score between 1 and 5. 1 being uh, 
it, it's nothing like you. So the statement doesn't represent you at all. Five being it is exactly like you. Like you are that statement 100%. Are you ready? Give you a second. Come on, grab your paper. Let's do this. You can hit pause if you need more time, but I'm going to jump in here. Number one, statement one. I tend to stop what I'm doing to hear about other people's challenges in life. One is uh, nothing like you. Five is exactly like you. Number two, I tend to feel guilt when I miss a church function. Give yourself a score here. Number three, I recognize people's personal financial need and I do something about it. Take a minute, give yourself a score. Number four, I feel guilt during Sunday offering time. Hmm. Number five, I tend to give people the benefit of the doubt. Give yourself a one, two, three, four, or five if it's exactly like you. Number six, I think I am better than most. Number seven, I often go out of my way to spend time with someone who is different than me. Number eight, being recognized is important to me. Number nine, I seek to understand people's life experiences. Number 10, my faith is more of a family tradition than a personal belief. Number 11, I feel what people are going through and respond. Number 12, I feel there are certain subcultures that Christians shouldn't associate with. Number 13, I feel that God loves all people. And last, number 14, I evaluate people's spirituality by their actions. Now, at, take a minute, add up all of your odd numbers. So 1, 3, 5, 7, 9, 11, uh, 13. Add them up and then add up all your even numbers. All of your odd numbers, that is your mercy score. And all of the even numbers, that is your sacrifice score. Now remember, all these quizzes, all Corner Church quizzes are completely 100% made up. They mean nothing. But I hope it helps spur you either in conversation or I hope it helps spur you in processing your faith and where you're at and where you and God are headed. Our final dialogue question today after this conversation is, do you think you are more like Jesus or more like the Pharisee? Why? And what are you going to do about it? Well, guys, thank you so much for joining me again um, for another message. I really hope that these questions, these uh, dialogue moments, uh, they really help you kind of process, think through that your faith becomes your own through this. I know for me, um, I wasn't until I was allowed to question or allowed to wrestle through moments of faith and questions that my faith became my own. And that's really my hope in this. I don't uh, have all the answers and that's okay. And you don't have to have all the answers. In fact, if you do, uh, you're probably, you probably don't. 
I would, you know, I feel like uh, those of you who have all of your theology 100% figured out, you are in for the biggest, uh, biggest fall when you, uh, you're in for the biggest surprise when you actually meet Jesus. Um, anyways, that's just a personal thought. Uh, but I really want to challenge you, like, use these moments to dive deeper. Do research take these questions to other people. I really think community is like the safest place to have these conversations. And so I hope you have a church family, church home, faith community that you call your own and where you can have these sorts of questions. Uh, This is really what Corner Church is all about, is helping people process through these faith questions together as a community. We may not all always have the same answers, and that is okay. One of the things I value most in the world is being able to sit at a table with somebody who I know believes differently than me and still being able to see them the way that Christ sees them as valuable and important. And uh, I challenge you the same thing for you. Uh, If you want to learn more about Corner Church, you can go to cornerchurch.tv. Our mission is to plant a church within walking distance of everyone in the urban dense part of our city. We are currently in Minneapolis. We have three locations. Uh, You are welcome to join us any Sunday at any Corner Coffee coffee shop. Um, If you want to learn more about me and what I do, feel free to go to gregjbarber.com. I do a little bit of everything. I have a lot of fun. um, And uh, I invite you just to, to reach out. You can shoot me an email. Um, There's a little contact form on there if you just have some questions, thoughts. I just want to connect. If you're in town, I'd love to buy you a cup of coffee or something. Um, But anyways, I'm going to wrap up. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful week.